Uh, I want to continue what we were just ministering in during that last time of healing. I had a conversation this week that uh, with a dear lady here in our church that went so well that I just wanted to share it with everybody. And those of you who are long timers around here have heard me say a lot of this before, but it, it doesn't hurt to say it again. Uh, whenever tragedy happens, whether it's cancer or death or some hardship of some sort, we, we meaning everybody, <laughs> our friends and family, people in the world and people in the church, we begin to offer nice platitudes to comfort one another, but a lot of the things we hear are not true. And one of, one of the lies that gets told in an effort to comfort ourselves or someone else is that this line that everything happens for a reason. That God is in control. That, well, this must just be God's will. Or God wanted another angel in heaven. Or God knows what he's doing. And we ask the questions, why me? Or why is this happening? Why is God doing this? And I just want to tell you this morning that God is not in control. The Bible does not say that anywhere. Not everything that happens is God's will. Not everything that happens is God's will. If we say that and believe that God's will, whatever happens is God's plan, or what, what, everything that happens, or whatever happens, good and bad, if it's, if it's well, it's happening for a reason, and God, God knows, and he has his reasons. If that's true, then you're claiming that everybody's sin and tragedy is his will. And we're blaming him for war and starvation and divorce and child abuse and murder and rape and cancer. But the truth is that he has given us humanity he has given us a free will. And every one of us has powerfully misused that. I heard just this morning Ravi Zacharias say that the highest ethic in the universe is God's love that allows our free will. At creation, Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says that he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth that he put humanity in charge of the planet. And then we disobeyed. We sold our soul to the devil, collectively speaking, humanity, all of us together. Our very existence belonged, before the cross, belonged to the snake. The very earth belonged to the devil. Because in Matthew 4, when... Satan's trying to tempt Jesus to worship him. One of the temptations was that he took Jesus up onto a high mountain and it says he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And the devil tells Jesus, if you will just bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. Well, that obviously was true, that he owned it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a temptation to Jesus. If Jesus knew that the devil didn't own the earth, he would have said, that's not a temptation because I know that's a lie. But that's not what happened. It was a temptation to Jesus that I can, I can become king of the world without having to go to the cross. 
Because Satan does own the world. And our sin is cursed, and there's consequences for that in our souls, and our bodies, and our relationships, and even in the earth. None of that that happened was God's will. He shows that from the very beginning when he cursed Adam and Eve and the earth and the serpent, and when he promised his Savior right from the very beginning, he tells Eve, I will send somebody who will crush this guy's head. Right from the very beginning, he shows that he absolutely did not approve of what they had done, it wasn't what he wanted, and that he would reverse it in time. And then he did send that Savior. If sin and sickness and death and tragedy were his plan all along, then why would he come and heal and save us and teach us truth and defeat death for us? A God who sends a Savior, a God who is willing to die for his own people, is not a cruel and torturous God who, for some unknown reason, torments us by telling us that he's good while he's planning our suffering. That's a psycho. That's not love. So, actually, it's, it's totally untrue that God is in control. Because humans sin against him. That's not his plan. We sin against each other. We hurt each other terribly. That's not his plan. And nature is broken. So animals suffer and kill each other. And there's weeds. And the planet's weather is violent and destructive. God didn't design it that way. The earth shakes violently under the weight of our sin, the Bible says. Disease occurs in plants and animals and people. Bodies that God obviously designed with multiple systems for health and healing and strength, they break down. They rot, they grow tumors, they get poisoned with toxins, overcome with parasites, they grow old and weak, if nothing else. That's not how God designed us. And Satan is still the ruler of this world. After the cross and the resurrection, in Scripture, he is called the God of this age. He's called the ruler of darkness of this present age. He's called a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's called the tempter. He's the wicked one with fiery darts. He's the evil one. I've got a scripture on the screen here for you. Romans 16, 20 says, The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. When will God crush Satan? Shortly. But in the future come on the devil was defeated at the cross and the empty tomb but he was not removed Jesus called him the ruler of this world three times and in Revelation he's the dragon and he's wearing crowns and standing on the kingdoms of the earth when John sees him Jesus said he has been judged but he is not powerless and he has not been locked up yet. Ephesians 2.2 2 says this, You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. When is he working? Now. Not everything that happens is God's will. Some things are the devil's will. And he is working that will through the sons of disobedience. 
God is trying to do His will through His people. Come on. And every day, I pick and choose whose will I get to work out in my life. And stupid me, I pick that one way too often. The devil is accomplishing his will through his people, and God is accomplishing his will through his people. We are in a war. In the spirit world, in the soul realm of relationships and emotions and our government and education and art and all of that that involves, and in the physical world, in our bodies and the earth and nature, there is a war going on, and we cannot claim that whatever happens is God's will because Satan is actively accomplishing his will through his people. Do you see it? John 17, in Jesus' prayer, the night before he is crucified in his prayer in the garden, he says, I, I do not pray that you should, he's talking to his father, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus' prayer is that God shields us, protects us from the devil. We have no reason to be afraid But he's still here and he's working. We are living on his turf and he is prowling around. So we live with our own sin choices and we live with other people's sins and we live in a broken natural world and we have an enemy king who is actively seeking our destruction. And none of that is God's will. None of that is his plan. He is the Savior. He is the healer. He is the deliverer from all of that. He is the deliverer from all of that. He is not orchestrating all of the death and sins and tragedies and cancers of the world. His word is, come to me and be healed. Come to me and be saved. Come to me and be protected. Come to me and have safety. Come to me and be free from your own self-destruction. None of that is God's will. So somebody would say, okay, yo, yes, Mitch, I am in Christ, so God's will is happening in my life, and God is in control of me. Well, let's think about that. If you say that God is in control of you because you have been baptized and you've made Jesus Lord, and if, you say, if you're going to say God is in control, then you're saying that you've never sinned since you got baptized. And I hope that nobody here would say that. If you think that, we'll have a talk afterwards. So you, you're humble, you know, you have not lived perfectly. God does not possess us with the Holy Spirit and make us do right. He does not run our life like a software program on a computer. We have our choices and we can choose, and God is actually not in control of us either. To the extent that we actually obey in faith, He is able to direct and bless us, absolutely. But he's not controlling every moment and every decision. And God is not in control of the people who sin against us. 
That's why there's so much teaching in the New Testament about forgive, 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 forgive. Never do you hear anything about living a pain-free life. Because he is not going to make other people not sin against us either. They have free will also. And we have to live in that. And we still are physical beings. We know that's not, this is not the highest and most real part of us, but we're here for now. We're in the world, we're not of it, but we're in it, and earthly age is going to catch up with every single physical body in this room. Every saint of God will grow old and die. So it isn't God doing it to us when our bodies begin to get old. Jesus clearly demonstrated that he is for us and not against us. He is for us and he is against the devil. He has power over nature. He has power over sickness. He has power over death. He has life and healing and compassion and love and power and faith. So when bad things happen that are clearly contrary to the character of God, God would not want a wife and children cheated on and abandoned. He doesn't want kids beaten up. He doesn't want women prostituted. God is not a God of cancer tumors. When those things happen, don't blame God by saying, well, everything happens for a reason. Or, God must have a plan. Of course he has a plan for healing, to fix the problem. He isn't teaching us some mysterious lesson by torturing us. That's not what a good father does. Come to him today with real faith for whatever you need, for healing, for forgiveness, for encouragement, for truth, for freedom, for correction, for courage, for financial provision, for help or instruction. He is for us, folks. He is not against us. Lamentations 3, 22 through 26. In the middle of the most tragic book of the entire Bible, this is Jeremiah's song that he wrote to the funeral song for the city of Jerusalem after Babylon has wiped it off the map. In the middle of the song, here it is. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Amen. Amen. In the middle of death and tragedy on a genocidal scale, Jeremiah says, God is good. And it's because of his compassions that we are not completely wiped out. Let me take another tack 
on this line of thinking. If you're still one that thinks that whatever happens is God's will, then I'd ask you to just to do this. If whatever bad things have happened to you or someone else that you have thought about and you've, you've thought, I wonder why God did that. If everything is God's will, then stop resisting the bad things that happen in your life. If you're fighting God, why bother? If you're convinced that it's God making you sick, then you're a hypocrite for going to the doctor. You can't say, well, God must have a reason for this, and then go to the doctor. Come on. Think about that. But we do go to the doctor because it hurts. And we know that's wrong. And then we believe a lie that God is doing it to us. And he isn't. He is our healer. He's our father. He loves us. If you're sure that God has authored your depression, and this is just your thorn in the flesh that you have to deal with, then stop taking your pills and be depressed, be sick, be in pain if it really is God's will. Stop fighting him, submit to it, and be happy about it. I hope you hear me correctly. I'm not saying to do any of that. I'm saying because we know that it isn't right. But then we comfort, we stroke ourselves by blaming God. That there must be some higher spiritual purpose for this, or this is just my lot in life, or, or this is God's will. When somebody dies, we say things like, well, God just wanted another angel. No, God didn't kill anybody to add an angel to heaven. That's totally unbiblical anyway. We don't become angels when we die, but God is not an author of death. He created us to be eternal. And love that we have for our family and our friends is eternal, which is why it hurts so bad when somebody dies. Because that love was not supposed to ever end. We're all supposed to live together forever. And it's our fault that we die. I don't mean specifically individually. I mean all of us are going to die because of sin. And our faith is that Jesus has rescued us from real death. That when this body ends, that isn't real death. The real death is the eternal separation from God. That would be the unimaginable tragedy. Our faith is that not that God killed somebody that we love for some mysterious reason. Our faith is that he caught them on the other side and that they are in Abraham's bosom. They are in the heart of Jesus. They are in the hand of God waiting for us and we will join them too. So ultimately, we know we don't believe that tragedy was God. Otherwise, we'd be happy about it. We don't believe that sickness is from God. Otherwise, we would submit to it. So while you resist and fight and cry and seek your healing, seek it with God, not against Him. I said seek it with Him, not against Him. 
So somebody would say, but I, but I am praying. I've, I think I have faith. I've tried. I asked for help. Why am I not seeing a change? Well, let me address another terrible statement that gets said too often to people who are seeking healing or repair in their marriage or a fix to whatever tragedy is happening way too often we get told we don't have enough faith I'm here to tell you this morning that is a lie Jesus said in the parable of the mustard seed he, he said the amount of faith does not matter the extent of our faith is not what makes any power whatsoever faith cannot be larger or smaller you either have it or you don't what he repeatedly said in multiple parables is what counts in faith is time and persistence he told multiple parables about staying in faith and keep praying over long periods of time until you see happen what you're asking for but he said you don't need larger faith or more faith we don't blame people for them not getting their miracle if they have any faith at all Jesus said that tiniest little mustard seed of faith will rip a mountain out and throw it out in the ocean the size or the extent of our faith does, is not what makes it strong or weak we are either in faith or we're not and that faith either continues or it doesn't I know I'm contradicting a lot of word of faith teaching but but I really I really see that in Jesus's teaching and and Bill Johnson says that if somebody is asking for prayer even that is an act of faith that is a submission to the authority of God and a, a belief that Jesus can do something and if it doesn't happen right here, I'm not going to tell somebody, oh, well, you just need to have more faith. Go home and work it out a little better. No, I'm going to say stay in faith over time because that's what Jesus said. Persist in prayer. He told that so many times. We don't even have time to tell all those parables. The extent of our faith is not what, what makes it powerful. We either have it or we don't, and we either stay in it or we don't. So what is faith then? Well, faith is Hebrews 11.1 1 says it's believing what we don't see. It's being absolutely sure of what we don't see. Well, what I see is that it hurts. What I see is that this is very scary. What I see is that somebody just died or that I have a need that God has not yet met. What I see is my family breaking before my eyes. What I see is somebody I love dearly is disobeying God and it is killing me. Faith is completely assured of what I don't see, which is God is on the move. That when I weep bitterly, He hears my prayers. Come on, Hezekiah turned to the wall and wept bitterly and says a two-sentence prayer. And God turns Isaiah around and says, hey, go tell him I heard it, and he's going to live. We don't need fancy prayers. We don't need elaborate faith. Just believe that he's there and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him, Scripture says. Be certain of what we don't see, that healing is mine. 
that his promise is true. When he says, I will save your children, that's truth. When he says, I am your healer, it's true. When he says, I take no pleasure in death, it's true. Romans 4 says that Abraham had a promise and he did not waver in unbelief. He did not consider his own body. And contrary to all hope, he hoped anyway. He did not consider his own body. His promise was that he would have a child, and he's now over 100, nearly 110 years old. Yours may be for healing. Yours may be for a repaired marriage. Yours may be for financial provision. It may be for the for joy and depression. Whatever your situation is, everybody here is completely individual. The fa physical facts are what they are, but faith says, I'm sure of what I don't see. It doesn't say he ignored his body, he just didn't consider that when in his faith. Somebody who denies they're sick, that's a lie. But saying, even though the facts may be that I got big problems, faith says, I am healed and I will see it. By supernatural miracle or time or natural healing or the surgeon's knife, whatever it takes, I will be healed. I will be healthy. God will direct my steps. And I'm not going to blame him for this. I'm going to go to him and have him fix it. Contrary to all hope, he hoped anyway. And it happened. Did not waver in unbelief. He did not consider medical and natural facts of his own body. And even though he knew it was contrary to all hope, he hoped anyway. 2 Timothy 3.10 Paul writing to Timothy, You have carefully followed my doctrine and manner of life and purpose and faith and long-suffering and love and perseverance and persecutions and afflictions. What happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. But how many was he delivered from? All. Those of you who had heard a sermon on Paul's thorn in the flesh, the preacher probably didn't get this far. Come on. Most of, the, most of those sermons are, God says, no, I'm not, Paul, I'm not going to take it away. Well, here Paul said he took it away. Out of all of them, he delivered me. Every time. Now, you know the story. You know he went through some bad stuff. But God always came through and he never blamed God. I'm sure he had some emotions about it. I'm sure he comes into the new city and he's like, oh man, if I start preaching today, I'm going to get stoned again. I'm sure he had some emotions and thoughts about it. These people are not fictional characters. They deal with reality like we do. But at the end of his life, as an old man, he tells Timothy, every single time, God came through. And here I am today, an old man, full of days. I've run my race. I've lived my life. And I'm ready to go home. And I'm going out in God's timing, not Satan's. Come on, I'm going out on God's timing, not Satan's. Everybody in the room needs to say that. Let's say that together. I am going out on God's time, not Satan's. 
Come on, believe it. Every time he will come through. There may, there will, there's no may about it. There will be. It's a promise. We will suffer. As all of us already have. But he will be faithful. Every single time. You will see the faithfulness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will see it. We will go out like Abraham and Moses. Old and full of days. Every one of us is going to die, but let's let God pick that day because our days are fulfilled, not Satan cut us short. It would be stupid to deny that we're not going to grow old and weak and our bodies will fail at some point. But that will be when God fulfills the number of our days. Not the devil robs us. And when we get robbed, we cannot blame God. When you get robbed, don't blame God. Run to Him. Cry, rage, sing, pray. Whatever feelings you need to feel, but do it with God. Not against Him. 2 Timothy 4.8 Paul says, The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The evil works of life are not God's fault. He does not plan them or orchestrate them. He allows them because he allows everything. I mean in a general sense, the humanity, we have free will. He didn't want it. He didn't desire it. He has worked from the however many minutes after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, he has worked for our salvation. For our redemption, for our healing, for our rescue. There's nothing in his character that he just torments us with bad things. Run to him and he will deliver us from every evil work. Jesus says in Revelation Chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus, there it is again. Jesus says, it's coming. Don't be afraid. Be faithful your entire life. And I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful till the end. And I will meet you with a smile and a crown. Don't be afraid. Don't be weak. He doesn't say it here, but I'll say it for him. Don't blame me. I mean Jesus. Don't blame him. Run to him. He is our healer, our deliverer, our savior. And he loves us.